Welcome to Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera, where we break down complex topics of faith to help gain a better understanding of the sacred and the secular. The Bible is the most popular book in the world. Almost 4 billion copies of the Bible have been sold in the last 50 years. A survey from 2021 found that 11% of Americans read the Bible daily. And the Bible is the most copied book of antiquity. So the question we want to answer for today's podcast is who wrote the Bible? Over the past 12 months, this question garnered over 22,000 searches per month. Clearly, there's a lot of people out there asking this question. So Dr. Mark, help us get to the bottom of this very popular question. Who wrote the Bible? Well, before I plunge into that, it's so great to be able to be here with you and with our audience as we explore so many different topics. And this uh, very important one, as we see from the survey results coming back, um, I don't know if I'm going to give the definitive answer on that that you just posed about the Bible, um, simply because the Bible has been so controversial since its inception um, and even today, there's debates going back and forth about so many aspects of the Bible. So what I will be able to do is give you my view, my opinion, based on you know study and, and, and based on experience as well, uh, and hopefully give a perspective to um, uh, today that will help us to have a better understanding of, of, the, of the Bible and its impact on both the sacred and the secular. So I'm excited about doing that today, but thank you so much for this time and, and diving into it. So when we look about at the Bible, it's it's uh, actually interesting for me um, that when you hear the word the Bible, oftentimes we don't realize that, yes, it's referring to a book that we know, normally covered in black leather and very fancy and all of that. But in reality, the, 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 the definition of the Bible is the books in plural. And it really is the root for the term uh, bibliotheque, which is the library, really, the library. So right. it's a compilation of different books from various authors that have a sacred and religious uh, significance through the ages. Um, and that is what the Bible, oftentimes, again, we look at the Bible and we think it's a book. And the question is, who wrote it? And really looking for a singular author. Well, there's a singular inspirational author and that we, we, we believe, and I believe as well. But it is really written by men, various men in, in different places in, uh, in cultural, in culture rather, I'm sorry, and also at different times in, in the history of mankind, in that continuum of time. Uh, but they have a common, a common theme, and that is that it is the inspiration of God revealing himself and things about himself to humanity and mankind. So to answer that question very broadly... Uh, they are very, it's a collection of religious or sacred books. Um, it's also various human authors and thought to be inspired by God himself. And also, interestingly enough, it's not even written in one specific language. It's originally a compilation of basically three general groups of languages, which is Hebrew, Aramaic, and the ancient form of, uh, of Greek in the Bible. So that's, the, the, you know, I want to enter this uh, this time of discussion with that as the, the, the launching point, if you will. It's a, a book of bi a book like a library. So when you approach it, approach it that way. It has religious and sacred uh, significance uh, through the ages and speaks to various religions. No religion owns the Bible. 
no religious tradition owns it because it speaks to a variety variety of of uh, of, of faith traditions. It's also very controversial in that even today, many of the things we will talk about during this uh, podcast are still in, in debate. And, and in many places, we have not even had a consensus of agreement, which brings us to later on. We'll talk a little bit more about well, can we, Can we pause there sure, real quick? Sure. And because and, and, I would like to ask that question of like, you know, it, it would seem like for any given book, right, who is the author should be a quick Think to answer, but obviously this question is a little bit more complex than the superficial question of who wrote the Bible. Um, so why why is it so complex? Why can't it be confusing for let's say a new believer or someone to the on the other extreme who's just an atheist who doesn't believe at all? What what uh, facing that question of who wrote the Bible? What makes that so complex and confusing? Yeah, that's excellent. What what happens is we typically uh, when we go to look for a book to read. We think of one author, we even think about the publisher and so forth. And if you're like me, before I read a book, I go in and look at the history of the author as well. That way I get, I get a kind of like a sense of where he, what, what perch he's writing from. If we approach the Bible that way, then it's going to probably start off being quite confusing because it is not one author. It is inspired by one, God, uh, but it is really God speaking through, again, men. So I think that's an important uh, hurdle to get over initially, and I think that starts to quell some of the confusion that we can bring into. And I don't mean confusion intentionally or controversy intentionally, but we're approaching it from a healthy point of view, who is the author, when it was written, who published it, all of that, which is typically the way we approach books. But this is not an ordinary book. It's really, in many circles, very sacred book, in many circles, very religious book, which is, there's a difference there. Um, so, and, and those two alone would create it to be very controversial. But I think the best way is to approach it um, in a new, as neutral a fashion as possible. So don't think of who, who wrote it or when it was written. It was written by various authors. Uh, some authors were writing and some of the books that are in there, and you look at the New Testament, for example, uh, Paul was not alive when the book of Genesis was written yet he's part of the Bible. So there's different contextual considerations we need to have. And then if you open that even further, talking about the secular, what was the political climate? What was the social climate during that time? You know, uh, what was the, the military condition of the country where they were writing from? Was there oppression of religion? All, all these things that we talk about today uh, were present in each one of the author's lives. So um, that's why, although it's written by various authors, and we can talk much, much more about that, um, um, nonetheless, there was a common theme, and and I and I view the theme coming from the Bible as a totality of the books. This library, um, it, it is God revealing Himself to His creation, specifically to His creation of mankind, and that's God revealing, and and even there too, uh, it's important to note that. The Bible is not the total revelation of God because it only contains what the human mind can comprehend about God. And even with that, it's confusing, right? <laughs> Imagine if we, because we, some people say, well, yeah, but I want to know the total revelation, who actually is God and all about God. Our mind is not capable to comprehend that. So God in his wisdom allows us to have this book now that speaks into things temporal and things eternal uh, but it's really based on the capacity of a human being to be able to comprehend things that are obvious and things that are very abstract and difficult, perhaps, to uncover. If we go, if we approach it that way, it becomes less threatening, less fearful, and less confusing. Right. So, 
It's a compilation of books written by several different authors throughout history. You have to consider uh, the, the the cultural context mm-hmm. um, for, for when each book was written. Uh, it almost sounds like you kind of have to reset um, you know, and, and kind of readjust your expectations of what the context is before reading each book almost. Um, but bef- so I, I, it, w- it would be great to start from the beginnings, the origins of uh, like the first uh, books of, of, of our Bible, how mm-hmm. that was put together. Maybe you could walk us through that. I know we can get into a lot of details, probably just do one podcast on that alone, but just a little overview of the origins of, of the Bible. But before we go there, maybe we should define what Bible we're referencing now like what version or what uh what this podcast historically we're going to go into the history but then leading up to which version of the bible because that's another part of the confusion too which i don't want to get too ahead but there are currently also different versions yeah of the that, bible again it, that also muddles up the water if you right. will because when we think of okay so what bible are we looking at right is it the king james version is it the uh, reina valera in spanish right uh, is it the uh you know, whatever, we, we, there's so many versions. Right now, the audience listening to us right now, they can look at their phone and Google Bible, and they will get so many different versions and translations. Right. So again, because it's a controversial book, so even answering that question, and I'm not shying away from it at all, it's just even answering that question, it is difficult, because certainly if I say, well, for me, it is the whatever, XYZ version of Scripture, the one that I really lean on. For example, let me give you an example of me. Um, I, I preach from a specific version of scripture, which uses more common language so that the people sitting in the audience uh, in the congregation can more readily understand. That isn't that they can't understand complex things, but I start with a very common language Bible. When I'm preparing to preach or teach or whatever, I don't use the common language Bible. I use various forms of uh, versions rather of scripture, but always trying to get to the foundational uh, biblical languages. So I am not the expert in, in Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, but I realize that in order for you to get the full intent of the of the author and inspired by the Holy Spirit or be inspired by God, you need to go back to original language as much as you can, back to capacity, you know, the capacity that we have. So for me, before I step up there on Sunday or whatever a teaching I'm going to do, I've explored probably to be totally upfront with you, at least a half a dozen, maybe a dozen different versions of scripture. Uh, Yeah, yeah, because, you know, I want to get the modern version. The other thing, too, is people, they don't really care how much Greek you know and how much Hebrew you know. (laughs) That's like, you know, I think that that's a waste of time when some preachers get up there and say, well, in the Greek it says the Hebrew. Most times we mispronounce the Greek and the Hebrew anyway. (laughs) And that further models the world. It's better to come up with, you could say something like uh, the biblical language uh, the, what it says can be interpreted today as, and then you give a modern interpretation of whatever that word was or phrase. So for me, I go through various versions. Now, um, it, it is difficult to be able to land on what is the authorized, this is the end of the road, this is the one version other than original language. You need to go back to original language in order to get you know the, the most gotcha. accurate kind of. So I'm not running away from the question you just asked, nor that the audience is probably thinking of, it's just that 
That's what make the, makes the Bible very controversial. I read it in right. two languages, in actually various languages. I look back at biblical languages, but I also read it in English because when I'm preaching and teaching in English, but I go back to Spanish as well. And mm. if you do a comparative between Spanish language and English language, Spanish is a, is a romance language. English is not. It's more like a, an, edu- an engineering kind of architectural language. So English tends to be a bit colder, um, and that's not a dig on English. Uh, but certainly Spanish as a romance language, and really the Bible is God's romance letter to <laughs> you know, his, 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 his missive uh, to his creation, humankind. So the romance side adds a little bit more um, of heart to it, if you will, for me, for my, my interpretation. But again, that's controversial. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people right now would react in an, perhaps in a, in, a, in a challenging way on that, and I got that, but everybody has to realize that. There is no one specific version. And by the way, versions of Scripture till this day are still being debated. So if you use the NIV, if you use King James Version, why did they come up with the new King James Version? Because people were arguing that the King James Version was not right. <laughs> you know, accurate enough. And there's always something in there that will not uh, interpret or cannot be translated correctly. There's two ways of translating, direct translation and also dynamic translation. And direct is word for word. Dynamic is considering the nuances of the language that you're trying to extract from and then present to. And those those uh, become stumbling blocks as well. And I, and I know I'm saying a lot right now, and 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 I think throughout this this podcast, it might seem, and I, and I don't want to give the impression, but it might seem that I'm trying to avoid it. It isn't. It's just, a, it's a controversial book, but I believe it is religious. I believe it's sacred. I believe it's God speaking to us. Uh, uh, and and by the way, another important thing on on the Bible, the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is speaking to us to condemn us. Mm. Oftentimes, that's the thing people don't want to read it, or they're afraid of it because they are going to be um, condemned. I think it's really a love story. It's about God wooing His creation, mankind specifically, back to Him. I think that's what it is. Right. Right. So you mentioned the uh, different languages mm-hmm. and, you know, the logic does make sense, right? There's uh, uh, even now today, sometimes it's not always apples to apples when you translate from one language to another. So that does make sense that in certain languages, the intention, the feeling behind it can be slightly different. So with that in mind, that might be a good segue to the origin. So the first biblical scriptures, mm-hmm. what language were they in? What were they? Let's let's start there with the very yeah, first. The, the, uh, the original um, um, Bible is really the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which is the Hebrew Bible that till this day, uh, the Orthodox tradition and, and other Jewish traditions follow that as the script. And those are the first five. But if you look at it, you have to, we have to divide the Bible into sections in order to be able to appreciate it even further. But to answer your question directly, that Genesis to Deuteronomy, those first five books are called the Pentateuch, or some others call it the Torah, or the Torah, it's also pronounced, uh, and, and it's known to be the Hebrew Bible. So the, the oldest manuscripts or scrolls, because there was no printing presses back there, so right. scrolls um, that were handwritten and considered, you know, revered even till this day. Jewish synagogues, particularly in the Orthodox tradition, those scrolls they keep their Bible, the Torah, in scrolls. They don't put it in books, and those things are some of them are priceless. I mean, you can't put a price on them. But those are the original, the Bible, really, um, and those are the oldest books that 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 we know. But even that pinpointing the year and all that, it's kind of difficult. I think it's much more accurate when you look at the Pentateuch. 
because through Jewish history, we can find, you know, a pretty accurate range of years when that was printed. Uh, when you start moving forward and go forward with the historical books and the poetic books and all that, because there's different sections. And maybe maybe what I'll do now is I think it's important for us to get to understand that the Bible from the beginning to the end is written in sections. Look mm-hmm. at it this way. Look at it this way. Just as I said a few moments ago at the beginning, that it is like a library. So if you if you're if you're gonna major in science, you're going to go to a, a, a library that has books about science, right? But it isn't all about biology or it isn't all about chemistry. You go to the section that interests you at that time. Right. A, a library of science also has uh, 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 um, important scientists. So you got to go into biographies of people. So uh, think of the Bible that way. So the Bible is divided into sections. So you go into this library called the Bible because it's called the books. And in there, there are sections, and they're divided generally this way. If, 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 if I can just take a few moments to walk this through. Generally this way, you have the Pentateuch, what I just mentioned, the first five books, uh, which is the Hebrew Bible. Followed immediately by that, you have then what this, what's called the historical books. And that's typically Joshua through Esther. And those are the books that tell you about the history of the Jewish people and their interaction with paganism and other other. Um, uh, the nations, and that's where you find um, the historical books, the census that was taken, all that stuff, and how it worked out. Uh, followed after that, you have what's called the poetic books. Uh, the Book of Psalms is in there, for example. Songs of so- Song of Solomon is in there. You know, uh, so you have those books which are poetic, and those books were used for the, during the acts of worship, processionals toward the temple, and they were actually sung and repeated. And in certain holidays, even till this day. Many of those psalms are, and songs are still uh, poetically read out loud in, in, in the gathering. One that is very important to us is the Psalms of Ascension. That It's uh, Psalms uh, 122 around there. It's a few psalms. And it's when they were ascending to the temple in Jerusalem. And those were a processional psalm. So you know how people, when they do parades, and they'll be chanting or, or calling out a specific song now here in New York when they do the Fifth Avenue Parade right, with right. St. Patrick's or whatever. There's some songs that are typical to that that event. So when the people were processing to Jerusalem for the High Holy Days, they would march through the streets and they would be singing some of these psalms. So those are the, the poetic books. Then you have also the prophetic books, which are the ones that include, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, uh, uh, Malachi. Those books are the ones that speak prophetically, and that's God's direct uh, uh, utterances to his creation, and specifically, more specifically, to the people of Israel. Uh, he was speaking directly to his Jewish people, the chosen people for him, and those prophetic books are God's direct word uh, to the people. That's the Old Testament, right? So several sections, Pentateuch, historical, poetic, and prophetic. And then we switch over to the New Testament, and, and by the way, between the New Testament, Malachi, and then the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, there's about 400 years of nothing in the sense of any other authors that were included. And some people call that the dark uh, apocrypha age, where that was, it seems to be that God was silent during that period. And, and it's a, a, in the calendar, it's about 400 years or so from the end of Malachi to then the beginning of Matthew. But then that ushers in the New Testament, because now... Uh, many may not accept the New Testament, but the New Testament is part of the canon, the accepted uh, compilation of these religious books. And so in, in um, the New Testament, it starts off with what's called the Synoptic Gospels. And that, in my, and this is, I'm going to insert some of my own discoveries and where I land on okay. this one here, 
because some people put the synoptic gospels as four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't. I separate that because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptics. And simply synoptic means that they have similar viewpoints. You'll find similar narratives in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, you'll find the Christmas story and, and things like that. Uh, that are complementary and give you some additional information in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Gospel of John, though, has also been called, that's the fourth gospel, it's been called the fourth gospel, it's been called the, the other gospel, because John, for me, does not represent the Christmas story. You can't find the Christmas story in the book of John. The book of John's focus, and it's written at the end of the first century, around nine, the year 90, after Christ had already gone, Um and in the year 90, he's writing, but he's writing now with the expectation of him who is to come mm. and that Jesus was the one that was promised. So it's a different, different vantage point in my view. So I don't consider that part of the gospel, the synoptic gospels. It's a standalone, the other gospel, and that's John. So what did I say? I said the gospels, the gospel of John. Then you have the history of the church, the book of Acts, because these believers now became part of of this thing called the church, that you don't find that word in the Old Testament alluded at all. You find the assembly of people, congregation, but not this term church. And, it, and so you have the book of Acts, which is the history of the church. And then after that, you have these letters of antiquity, most of them written by uh, the Apostle Paul, and that's Romans through the book, through the epistle of, uh, of Jude. And the epistles are simply letters that... Um, uh, Paul, religious leaders, in this case Paul, would be writing not to those people outside of faith, but those people that were part of the faith family. And he's writing to give instructions, corrections, and so forth, and reminders to them, thus called the epistles. And then the Bible ends with uh, the book of Revelation, which is really the future prophetic vision. That's the, if you ever heard the word eschatology, that's where it's gotten from. What's going to happen? What, what will heaven be like? What will the afterlife, when we get to the other side, what will that look like? And why will we look that way? So that's that's a whole different podcast, by the way. Right. But that's how the book of Revelation, the, the Bible then finishes. So you have these two major book sections, which is the new, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the oldest of which are the Pentateuch, mm -hmm. right? The Jewish Bible, the Torah. And then you have this whole thing of history, poems, and prophetic. And, and then you jump into the Gospels. Uh, church history, epistles, and and future uh, vision. That's why, for our listeners, you know the question about how do you you know who wrote it and what does it mean. It, it depends on where you are in life, because if if you're looking for um, good news, you know uh, something that will help you in dealing with your today, I would probably recommend look at look at the Gospels and read that. You know, If you're interested in more historical things about Judaism and religions and other, then I would tell you, yeah, go to the Old Testament and look in, and find out about the history that's found there. If you want to be more deep into, into the study of, of Jewish theology, then of course the Pentateuch is the place to go, the first five books. If you're more interested about future, some people are very future-oriented, then, then you got to look at the, the you know, the, the the book of Revelation and see how, you know, what what it's going to look like. But by the way, don't go in there in any section thinking that everything is going to be tied up in a nice little bow at the end. It will be controversial because we're trying to understand the divine while we're still in here in the temporal. We're trying to understand God, who is eternal, when we are not eternal yet. So. There's going to be some tension in there, but I believe tension is actually good as we continue to grow. Yeah. 
Oh, that's good. And, and I think that's very helpful for people who, who didn't already understand that um, the Bible is broken up into these categorical sections. And that could help, like you said, depending on uh, 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 where you want to begin with reading the Bible, that may help to, under- to start by understanding the different sections of the Bible, not just simply Old Testament, New Testament, but how those sec- those larger sections are broken up into uh, categories. And that might help determine where you will begin. You know, there's something that for me is very important uh, in this discussion today, and that is because we're talking about the Bible, which is the the foundational uh, compilation of of religious and sacred literature for for humanity. And in my case specifically, you know, I'm not a Jewish rabbi, nor am I a Muslim imam. I'm a Christian pastor and an evangelical Christian pastor. So we, myself, I had to have a foundational scripture because I don't question right. the Bible as being the inspired word of God that God spoke through you know, men in particular, which by the way, let me just parenthetically stop because the, even that is controversial. I just read recently that there's some debate now that because there might have been some women authors in there. I know that makes people very uncomfortable, <laughs> but I, I, you can't critique, like I go back to my mantra, like you can't critique unless you understand. And there's even some debate now that's rising in, 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 in circles of biblical scholars that um, even a book like Hebrews, which might have been written by, by a woman, that, we're, we're, that there's some uncertainty there. So this, this, again, brings to the surface the point, this is a controversial book. Yeah. It's hard to settle in a point, but you do have to settle somewhere. And to be clear, you're not saying it was written by a woman, oh, but no, that's no. part of the debate that's out there. Exactly. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not trying to... <laughs> I'm not afraid of debate, right, you know, and some right. people right away, oh, no, no, I'm not afraid of debate. I think we, it, you know, you keep learning. It doesn't change me from my position, you know, uh, but on that, on that point, it doesn't change my, yes. from my position. With a book like the Bible, you need to have a starting point. And for me, I stated it already, and I hope I explained it as clear as I could with my human understanding and my language understanding and ability to transmit thought to the ears of the listeners and that is you try, you try to approach it with a, a, as neutral uh, a position as possible because it is controversial. It's a compilation of books. It's inspired by God, uh, uh, authored by God through men that were inspired by, by God to write this. But for me, I land, um, uh, and my launching point is 2 Timothy 3, uh, which has two verses there that for me are critical in understanding Scripture. It says, for me, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I, I personalize this. So for, this is not, I don't use this to be, I, I, I mean, this informs the way I preach and teach and, and try to influence my congregation in the sense of spirituality, but this I personalize. This is this speaks to me personally. So when I'm reading scripture and I'm studying scripture, I realize this verse that all of it, all of it is inspired by God. All of it is spoken, uh, God speaking to men for specific reasons. And here he re- he says it's for teaching, it's for rebuking, which is correcting, right? It's for correcting. And it's for training toward righteousness. So the reason for this book is not to live a life of controversy. It's actually to live a life of holiness, 
Yeah. That's a big difference, That's you what know? it sounds like, yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, to me, so... For me, I land there where Paul is speaking to Timothy, and that's my starting point when I look at Scripture. But I'm open to even what I stated a few moments ago. You know, this controversy is still alive. I don't just brush it under the carpet and say, okay, let's not look at that. No, I think we learn when we were made uncomfortable with things that we thought were already settled. Yeah, very good point. Let's uh, take another step back and look at how were the original scriptures, uh, how accessible were they? You mentioned how the first uh, holy books were scrolls. Um, it sounds like the, mainly the religious leaders were the ones that were handling them and reading them. Um, uh, what was the experience like in the beginning? And, and, you know, fast forward, obviously, we can go into a lot of details as we go through the timeline of history. But yeah, paint us that picture of like, how were the common people exposed to the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, that, that's a very, very good question. And that we have to look again at the history. And for me, the, the history marker with regard to accessibility to the Scripture was the, uh, the advent of the printing press. Right. So the, the first, um, because prior to that, really poor people had no access to Scripture. Wow. Because if you think about it, what I mentioned a little while ago, if, if these things were on scrolls, right, and they were handwritten, Right away, those two, just those two ideas, there's more, but those two ideas that I just mentioned, you have to be pretty wealthy to be able to have somebody handwriting scripture for you, you know, or the inspiration of the Lord. You also have to be somebody that's wealthy because you have to dedicate your time to that. So you couldn't be farming and then come back and, you know, in the wee hours, you know, start writing by hand. There was no computer, there was no tablets, nothing like that. So the earlier... Uh, versions of scriptures or the, the earlier manuscripts that were available, scrolls that were available, really were in the hands of of wealthy people, um, and, um, and and as a result, they kept them in. And many of these wealthy people, as of today, you even see this today, people that have you know they own huge estates and they had their own chapels and stuff. And you'll find these chapels had uh, libraries where they kept these uh, sacred scrolls. And the other thing, too, when you look at literacy, for example, not everyone could read in the, prior to the, because the, books were not readily available before the mm. printing press. So as a result, it was people that were more uh, educated, formally educated uh, and trained that were able to read that. And then there was this other thing that was going on prior to the printing press is that many religious traditions uh, did not believe that the common person was suitable to be able to read the scripture. Wow, <laughs> isn't it amazing? So this was this was part of their 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 belief system yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. They 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 thought that the the common human, and then it was men, because back then they weren't they weren't even considering women. Of course, you know, that's the way it was. So <laughs> they culture. yeah, that's the yeah. way it was. So back then they couldn't even um, like you know we'll do uh, uh, people read their Bible at home, and you even quoted a a percentage of the Americans and the that, that actually read the Bible every day or they, on a daily basis. That was not allowed back then because back then many traditions said you had to be a priest. You had to be a father, you know, in the sense of Catholicism, for example. Mm. You had to be a certain religious leader in order to be even able to look at, carry, or open up one of these scrolls. Wow. It was not just allowed for the common person. So that in itself hindered the public, the general public, from being able to explore Scripture even deeply, even more deeply. Uh, and that, by the way, is true of Judaism. It's true of, of, of Christianity, for sure. 
uh, and other, and even today, some of the traditions still continue that, that that this is not available. In fact, if we look at the history of the church, it was and the Catholic Church specifically, it was in the first, second Vatican, in the nineteen seventies, where then now it was no longer compulsory to read scripture in only Latin, and it was open to more than just the people at the pulpit, the priests, mm. the the laity can begin to read. That's and that's that's current. That's not. I mean, the seventies may sound long time ago to many people listening right now. But, um, no, that's you know, not too long ago. From yeah. a guy born in the 50s. I mean, that wasn't too long ago uh, for me. Well, I, according to your last podcast, you're 700 <laughs> years old. So Why did you go a, there? That's yeah. a little Easter egg for anybody who paid attention to the last podcast. Let, let, let's last see they episode. did, right? Well, some people did get back to me and say, you you were 70, what, were, what did I say, 70? 70 decades. He meant to say seven <laughs> decades, seven decades. But yeah, so in the 70s, you, you said the Catholic Church. Yeah, they, when they came up with the Vatican II and, 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 and these, this this group of uh, bishops got together and they determined then that the services, the masses, not services, masses can be held not just in Latin, but in the common language of the people. And it opened also the the ability for people to actually read the scripture on their, and actually read it publicly because it wasn't allowed prior. And that's just a Catholic group. I mean, other traditions did it as well. So to, to go back to your question, it was not readily available. So people could not read uh, prior. And then you have the Gutenberg Bible when it came out, that uh, 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 Johann Gutenberg's Bible, which is a very famous marker in when you're talking about Bibles. I mean, today, these, these Bibles, they're not priceless, but they're in the tens of millions of dollars if you wanted to buy one today. Wow. And that really happened because of the advent of the printing press. So it's interesting how technology then also influenced the availability of scripture, even till today. Yeah. I mean, it's only the advent of the cell phone, for example, which is another form of printing press for us, a printing press yeah. marker. Before that, you the only way to get a different version of scripture was to spend a whole bunch of money and uh, you know, trying to and you you needed a, a huge room just to have a library with the different versions of scripture. Right now, all our listeners are carrying a cell phone or a smart device, and you can access Every single version of scripture that that's available in any language. In any language, yeah, yeah, it's true. So, in an instant, yeah, right. So more people can have access and are able to read scripture today than it was back then. So with the Gutenberg Bible, that opened the door, and 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 other things happened right after that as well with Martin Luther and all that, and the thesis that he, you know, it, it, it's interesting these markers how it opened up this floodgate for the Bible to become even more controversial. Actually, when you look at the Reformation, uh, so. Uh, so since then, since the advent of the printing press, the changes were slow, but nonetheless, the changes came where now the Bible today is readily available to anyone. They, we have, and you know, we have children's version of scripture. We have, um, uh, the reader's digest version of scripture, if you will, you know, that's abbreviated. Um, we have a, a common language, uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message, which some people say is not a version of Scripture. It's a it's a commentary. That That's okay. We can make that argument. But it, nonetheless, you can get the essence of the gospel through even the message, which is... Uh, and, you know, by the way, as I'm speaking this, it just... So what excuse do people have for not reading? <laughs> I mean, that's another part. But what excuse do we have? It's there, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's made available. And like you said, historically speaking, it's, it sounds like uh, it was almost impossible for the common person it to was. have access to, to the Bible. So, I, yeah, go ahead. The other thing, too, that, that came to mind is the versions of Scripture was interesting because, you know, some people out there know that, and if they don't know now, they'll know, um, that it, it, uh, as people start excavating these archaeological sites, right, they end up finding Dead Sea Scrolls and other things that... Uh, show not just uh, full manuscripts, for example, full scrolls, but also different variations of of 
the same scripture. All of a sudden, you'll find two books of the of Luke and two books of you know whatever it might be, two scrolls written around the same period, but not all, not exactly duplicates. How did that happen? Yeah, that's a good question. That's actually one of the questions we wanted to ask you too. Yeah, how does that happen? I think even at the end of uh, the book of Mark, right there is a. Uh, there's a there's even a mention of like some manuscripts don't have these last couple of verses. Correct. So yeah, walk us through that process of how these, uh, how typically these manuscripts were originally written and how some of that confusion can where that may come from. Yeah, because m- many people don't realize the again the 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 impact that wealth had on the the spread of of the written word, the scripture. And, um, and, and that's not a negative, that's actually a positive. What used to happen, particularly, like, for example, um, let, let me use the example of, um, of Paul, the Apostle Paul. Okay. He, was, he was a learned man, he was a PhD of PhD, studied under the best minds of his time. This guy was an incredible mind. Not, he had weak social skills, apparently, when we, when we look at him, so you wouldn't have coffee and, and cheese or take him out to go eat a Carvel ice cream because he was not that kind of a guy. Right. But, uh, but an incredibly brilliant uh, mind, nonetheless. And the way I always envision the Apostle Paul is that because he, was, he had low s- social skills, just to throw him in a room with a couple of manuscripts and come back three months later and he'll be fine. Every day <laughs> just throw in some food so that he can eat, water that he can drink. And that's the kind of person. But Paul, for example, who wrote the bulk or a large part of the New Testament, right, especially the epistles, these letters of antiquity, mm. Let me just walk you through how that would work. It would be a room, for example, and Paul, again, was not a poor man. He was connected. And we can prove this because how did he get letters to persecute the church, for example, in the first century? Mm. He had to have some level of political influence. Yeah, and he had resources, level, for he sure. He had resources, exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's an easy argument to make. But he would now, now he had his road to Damascus experience, right? And now he's no longer a persecutor of the church, but now he becomes actually a, an apostle. And so now he he would have he would set up what was called amanuenses, and that word amanuenses were people that in today's ver, uh, scenery would be someone like a scribe, someone that would take notes, a court reporter, for example. So he would have assembled in a room a series of amanuenses, one on either side with an aisle toward the center. So let's say for the sake of this explanation, he would have six on either side, or maybe that day some of you didn't come in, so there was four on either side, right? But a group of amanuenses, individual people. Now, there were no microphones. There was no no way to be able to project the voice other than you would project your voice as best you could through the you know, the, the, the cavity of your mouth, the capacity of your lungs, and the ability to just speak loudly and strongly and clearly. So now he's in the room. He's going to dictate now the book of the, uh, the book of Romans, whatever, or the book of the letter of Ephesians. And so he, now he walks up and down the center aisle just speaking. Mm. And so you, there's a game that people play today. I, 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 so the people in the telephone, be- telephone. Yes, right, yes, right, yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Whisper exactly. in one ear, then whisper the same message. Exactly. To the other. Yeah, okay. So he would be talking, and the people in the front next to him would hear him starting the sentence or the paragraph. And as he walks toward the back, what would happen? They would no longer hear him as clearly, mm. but the people in the back would hear him clearly. So then, what? Fast forward to today. That's why sometimes you have manuscripts that don't really align with one another, and we start battling with which is the real one. They're all real. I mean, that you can authenticate them. It's just simply that it's going to be based on what people heard or did not heard. The other thing about the Bible that we need to understand, that it wasn't originally written in chapters and verses. 
You're like, yeah, right that's now, important. Yeah, that yeah. is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk us through that too, because you, you look at the Bible, you see typically two columns of texts on each page. There's verses, there's chapters. Um, very, very organized. But for a book that, again, um, is essentially thousands of years old, how did it get so organized? <laughs> well, it had to be organized again because, and I think there was wisdom in this, because um, as we stated earlier, these were authored by different people and un, in a different context context so in order to be and then it was such a large book because it's a large right. compilation of books so it makes sense to have it in a book name and and uh, numbered uh, chapters and numbered verses because it's easier than to reference particularly now when it opened up for the public mm. so you know you you couldn't memorize all of it uh, some of the traditions of Judaism is that part of the bar mitzvah whole thing, you have to be able to memorize portions of scripture, especially if you're going to be going into rabbinical training, for example, memorize them. But not everybody could do that. So for the masses in particular, now you have chapters and you have verses. It makes it easier to be able to uh, include. But nobody writes a letter, a letter to somebody and puts it in <laughs> number form, and no one does that. Right, right, right. But it had to be done with scripture in order to make it more readily accessible. The other thing too with the, for example, the letters of Paul in the New Testament, those letters were sent. He would, you know, do the the thing with the amanuenses and you know dictate them. And then there would be a messenger that would go, and when the people would congregate, for example, in Galatia, the, the, letter, the letter to the Galatians, when the, the church would gather, which typically they gathered in homes, so those letters would be read in the public gathering mm. of, the, of the believers at out that loud. time. Read out, out loud. Out loud. Yes. Out loud. Okay. So it wasn't mailed, or there was no email or faxes or anything. It was just read out loud uh, to them. Quite similar to the way the Pentateuch was handled when they were meeting in the, the Jewish temple, that the scripture was read, the Pentateuch was read uh, audibly to people. And th and that feeds into my whole premise, and again, this is very personal, about that the, the building up of your faith comes by hearing the word of God read audibly. There's something about reading it audibly that that impacts me. And I go, I know that's very parochial on my side. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that everybody should do that. But for me, that, that, that works really, really well. I believe in our church we read scripture orally, I mean uh, audibly, so that some portion of it can stay, you know, pinned into our heart and into our soul. Well, I think it's even, you know, pun intended, even biblical, right? I think the Bible explicitly says that uh, faith comes from hearing the word. That's right. right. So, so you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, again, now, uh, one other thing I wanted to, that we kind of mentioned but didn't really elaborate or give context to, what's the significance of translating the Bible? Again, we you already established that the original texts were written in multiple languages in the first place but they definitely weren't written in english you right. know definitely weren't written in spanish uh chinese or what, whatever modern language that you know most people speak nowadays um so yeah so uh, explain that transition of of the bible uh finally being available in different languages yeah i, I think uh, for me it, the answer is not that complex let, let me give you a, 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 a personal thing right here that i think will be helpful my parents don't speak Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew. But if the Bible says, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, to quote, again, I'm an evangelical pastor, so I'm going to quote things that I, I find very significant for me. That doesn't mean the audience needs to line up on, behind me on this, but for me. So if, for God so loved the world, how in the world would my family be able to know this God that loved them so if it's only in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, right? 
Yeah. So it exactly. had to be the, the very mission of the church and the very mission of God's love, because God is love, of God's love being extended. And by the way, love is a topic that cross goes right across every religious belief that man can invent because religion is a man man-made invention it's man man's effort to try to understand the deity or to try and and understand the divine yeah that's what religion is mm-hmm. so it, love is one of those things that transcends the hebrew expression it, uh, that transcends uh muslim the the, the, the buddhism Love and then and love translates to a loving someone else, loving a, our fellow man. It's a it's a key element of of the um, the innate, innate or existential um, experience or, or or element that every human being has that they want to give and they want to receive. So that's why I'm using actually John three sixteen for God's soul of the world. So in order for my parents to be able to experience that degree of love, that magnitude of love, the Bible had to be you know, brought in Spanish because that's how my mom, you know, was able to come to faith. That's how my father came to faith. It wasn't, and they, and they no, no longer around, but they never once spoke Greek or once spoke Hebrew or once spoke, you know, Aramaic. It was only Spanish. So I think that's, it sounds like a simplistic answer, but I think it's a very powerful answer that many of us listening to right now, we didn't receive the message through those ancient languages we we received it through the languages that are common to us i mean america would never be able to be reached if the bible was not available in england uh in english rather you know people in 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 france would not be able to be reached and on and on and on i mean i can keep going down the the countries of the world and the languages china you had mentioned china before they would not be reached if we were not able to translate the word of god into other languages so i'm 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 glad that translators did that and translators are still working today for those obscure languages in, in, in civilizations and, and, and people that we may not be familiar with. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah. So translating the Bible is definitely significantly important uh, because like you said, from, from the biblical perspective, if God loves the world and we're trying to reach the world, let's speak their language. Let's let them understand it. Uh, it, it again reminds me of that historical marker that we briefly mentioned Martin Luther, mm-hmm. you know, he was one of the first to uh, translate the Bible as well. Also, the timing of of the printing press being released right. <laughs> during his lifetime not too coincidental. That was that, that helped him immensely. But him translating the Bible was also his effort to show the people, hey, these corrections I'm trying to point out for the Catholic Church. Read the Bible yourself. Check it out. You know, the indulgences are not in the Bible. You know what I mean? He, you know, he exposed the truth of God's word to the people. So clearly translating the Bible, even from that sense of kind of waking people up, you know, to the truth um, is also very, very significant. You you know, Matt, I know we're starting to wind down toward the end of this um, uh, podcast, but I want to go back to what we started and, and the very, and, and this really speaks to my heart. The 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 survey that you mentioned earlier about the interest of the Bible being the most you know the very popular the very most popular, popular book yeah and then the number of people asking the question about it I think just asking that question what was the number twenty thousand per month over twenty two thousand average inquiries right per, per month, month yeah right and that's people that actually responded there were others that didn't ever responded to a survey kind of thing what that speaks to me just asking that question of tell me something about the Bible. I think it shows a hunger and a desire 
of these individuals, it's 20,000, but it represents a whole bunch more number of people, of connecting with something bigger than I, bigger than themselves. And, you know, that's really why I've often responded to the question of why would people come to church, for example, hmm. or wherever people congregate. But in my case, church, people would come to church because they, they, it really isn't about the music or the charismatic way that the speaker might, might be able to communicate and, and really none of that. Even on Easter, when people come out for, and Easter's coming up soon, right? But, but people would come out to show their their wares, right? Their clothing. Um, it really is this human thing deep down inside of us to connect with someone, something, some source. However you want to couch God, he doesn't get offended about how you want to look at him. But um, bigger than yourself. And in that connection, when you make that with God in, in an internal way, it really shifts uh, your life toward righteousness, toward good, toward treating your fellow human being differently. I think that's the linchpin that then allows you to be able uh, to um, change your perspective on all the issues that we talk about here in America, for example. Once you have this connection, and the very question about the Bible, I think, is, po- is pointing to an unanswered question. Is there room in the text for me? Is there room in this revelation of this God who is bigger than I, who I can't really understand and grasp? Is there room in there for me? And I think that's an easy answer for me, and that is that absolutely yes. The very fact that 20,000 plus people a month are asking and countless more that are not asking that question or asking that question but not posting it, it shows me that there's a hunger in, in, in our people, in our context for that connection. And I hope that at some point in, in, their, in their life, they're able to make that connection, even if they start off with something that was said here today, something that guided them toward, let me peel back the pages of this book and see what it's really about. I really believe that when we approach this text, which is controversial, which is not resolved in many people's minds, which, which people think is a, a condemning book, but when you open it up with the sincerity of your heart, I really believe that God's love will be demonstrated to the individuals listening to us. So this this excites me, you know, and it's unfortunate that we've run out of time, but we can really continue to unpack this. So I pray and hope that that you know people will be able to to lean upon what I just mentioned. No, that's that's great. One last personal question for you: What's the significance of the Bible? What what does it mean for you? Uh, how do you use it? Yeah, walk us through, for you personally, the significance of the Bible. Right. For me, the Bible is the starting point for all of my endeavors in life. It, it really is. Uh, it it um, informs my conduct with others, my interaction with other people. It, it, it informs my vision for tomorrow. It informs me as a father. It informs me as a husband. It informs me as a citizen also. I think it's important to, to get that. So every facet of my life is informed. Now, that doesn't mean that I walk around with a huge Bible, you know, a Schofield Bible on the, on the top of my head that, you know, it looks like a hat, but it's really a Bible. And that's how I walked out up and down Fifth Avenue. <laughs> no, but that's not even what God wants. But it's certainly informed. I open the book every day. And, and you may say, wow, no, no, I'm not holier than anybody. It's just that uh, I'm probably more in need than anybody. But it informs everything that I do that when I'm going into a meeting, uh, when I'm uh, hosting an elected official, when I'm going in for um, to see my doctor. In fact, when I'm going to go buy a new tie for my suit, 
It informs every area of my life. Now, what I do is I don't impose that on anyone that's listening, but I tell you, I will tell you, check it out for yourself. You know, um, it is transformative. You know, so uh, I would say it's 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 the starting point for my day. It really is. At some point in the day, I have to reference it, uh, stand on it, and then that'll serve as a launching pad uh, for me moving forward. And by the way, uh, it's important to note um, it, it's an ongoing process. Mm. So if it's not that I've arrived to this this perch called holiness and perfection. Oh no! On the contrary. You're constantly evolving to to you know become more pleasing to to God and you know and deal with issues of forgiveness with other people and 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 letting things go and I I, I think it's a, it's a um, it brings balance it brings balance mm. to my life so but yeah. thank you thank you for that question yeah yeah no problem no problem no I think a lot of people who have read the Bible um, would agree that it's pretty common to even reread the same book, same scripture, same verse even. Um, but years later, when you reread it, it just reveals something different. It resonates in some different way. And that's also, I think, a, probably a unique experience with with reading the Bible compared to just any other book too, is that um, it, it is God's living word. Yes. Um, and it is something that uh, it's no coincidence. You can't deny how it has endured through the ages. That's true. You know, just objectively speaking. So, yeah, yeah it. Uh, yeah, this was a very good podcast. Thank you, Doctor Mark Rivera, for uh, for this discussion. I think we could have probably done another couple of hours. Yeah, sure, I'm sure. We <laughs> going yeah. into more of the nitty gritty of this episode of Who Wrote the Bible. I hope you guys listening uh, found this interesting. If you have any questions, any other thoughts. Definitely reach out to us with questions uh, on Dr. Mark's uh, blog. That's drmarkrivera.com. Again, Dr. Mark with a with C. A C. <laughs> Dr. Mark with a C. Any other final thoughts before we officially wrap up this episode? No, I'm just excited. Again, uh, ever since we we finally launched uh, our this podcast, I've been so excited about the topic. Some of it, you know, is uh, is has been uh, interesting, like today. Uh, but I'm excited just to be able to share my heart and, and and hopefully somehow, some way we'll guide people toward a path that's fruitful and effective for them. But thank you also for hosting this. I really appreciate that. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera. Thank you for listening and God bless.